1: Paul Gillen goes On The Record Online.
2: The problem for newspapers is that they can't scale down. The model, the model uh, for newspapers scales up very well, but it doesn't scale down very well. So as they try to adapt to this new infrastructure, they find that they just have to cut and cut and cut and cut, and, and the quality of what they do declines as a result.
1: And thanks for downloading this episode of On The Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, if this is your first time listening, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers, and we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. Today we have a one-on-one interest uh, interview with Paul Gillen, uh, who has been reporting on the impacts of technology and the media for 25 years. Uh, before focusing full-time on social media, he was uh, founding editor-in-chief of Tech TechTarget. Uh, those of you in, in tech PR will remember uh, it as one of the most successful new media entities to emerge on the Internet. Previously, he was editor-in-chief of Computer World. Uh, he now advises marketing executives and CEOs on how to turn their new uh, social media uh, into an advantage. And he's got a new book out, Uh, It is called uh, The New Influencers, A Marketer's Guide to the New Social Media, and it's part of the uh, Books to Build Your Career By, published by Quill Driver Books. Uh, It is available on Amazon and BarnesandNobles.com and also uh, at uh, a website that he will mention uh, in his interview. Uh, I'm your host. My name is Eric Schwartzman. I am the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, If you are a new media enthusiast or if you are someone looking to get more involved with new media, uh, we have uh, an online integrated toolkit that you can log into over a browser and point and click your way through any combination of um, new media uh, channels uh, to reach your core audience that you'd like. So it's an alternative to cobbling together a loose affiliation of Web2.0 Uh, tools um, that you know may be unsupported or an alternative to open source Uh, I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Uh, A few uh, opportunities I want to mention if you're interested in getting uh, more hands-on training or uh, networking with other people who are uh, interested in social media. Uh, The first is uh, a call out to publicists, uh, people in the media relations business who may be listening. Uh, I have been hosting since um, January of this year a, uh, a Meet the Media uh, teleseminar for the Public Relations Society of America. Once a month, I've been putting together a panel of journalists and talking to them about how they like to work with PR people. Uh, this month, um, we are it's the month of uh, May 2007 when this podcast is being recorded, and uh, we are going to be doing an interview with uh, some of the top business news editors uh, in the country, We have a panel lined up with uh, Ben White, who is the chief mergers and acquisitions reporter with The Wall Street Journal. Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, peculiar thing about Andrew Ross Sorkin is uh, he started writing for The uh, New York Times uh, when he was still in high school. Uh, He is now uh, their chief mergers and acquisitions reporter. Um, And we also have uh, Ben White of The uh, Financial Times. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Ben White. Yes, Ben White of the Financial Times, Mergers and Acquisitions Reporter. Uh, it is an all-star panel. And uh, if you can't um, uh, go to PRSA.org and participate, you can go to um, uh, iPressroom.com or SchwarzmanPR.com and uh, you can purchase a a copy of the of the uh, TelSeminar after the fact. Um, if you are looking to get some hands-on training on how to use uh, Web 2.0 tools, uh, you can take the New Media PR Boot Camp Uh, Which I'll be teaching. It's a two-day boot camp. It'll be taught uh, in New York at um, the Public Relations Society of America headquarters, September 13th and 14th. That's a Thursday and a Friday. So um, you you know, if you can go out there Thursday and Friday, you can stick around and enjoy the uh, the weekend in uh, in New York. And last but not least, Podcast Expo coming up. If you are interested in. Uh, networking with other podcasters. If you want to uh, learn pretty much anything you could imagine about podcasting, uh, this is the place to do it. And I'm actually going to be uh, giving a a presentation there on September 28th, which is the Friday, the first day of the conference. It does continue on uh, Saturday and Sunday, the uh, the 28th through the 30th. You'll be able to get information on all those conferences at www.schwartzmanpr.com because in addition to being the founder and chairman of iPressroom, Uh, On a day-to-day basis, I am the managing director of a Los Angeles-based PR consultancy. Uh, The name of our firm is Schwartzman & Associates, and we are online at schwartzmanpr.com. Enough of me. Uh, Let's get on with the interview uh, with Paul Gillen after this.
0: Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Paul Gillen,
1: thanks so much for joining us.
2: Pleasure to be here, Eric.
1: Tell us about this book that you've just published, uh, The New Influencers, A Marketer's Guide to the New Social Media. Uh,
2: The book is about influence. It's not about blogging or podcasting necessarily, although that's a big component of it. But what fascinated me about these new media, these so-called social media or sometimes Web 2.0 media, as they're called, is that they are being applied by individuals to create Positions of significant influence in markets that matter with them. And they're doing that without the intercession of traditional media middlemen. Uh, and the way that that happens, the way that people uh, build credibility and build audience and build power in a market is very different in social media than it is in mainstream media. And I was fascinated by the dynamics of how that happens. Uh, so the book is, is an attempt to give marketers some insight into who these, these new influencers are. Many people, uh, many of them people that uh, no one ever heard of uh, a year or two ago who are actually beginning to assume uh, dominant uh, positions of authority in some markets. You know, what motivates them? Uh, what, is, uh, what are their values? Uh, how do they approach their work? How do they think of what they do? Uh, and how do you influence them?
1: Now, you, tell us about your background, because you were um, editor-in-chief of Computer World, right?
2: Yes, I've been in IT media since 1982, if you can believe it. And uh, much of that time was in Computer World. I was there for, for 15 years altogether. Uh, I was executive editor there for uh, nine years, editor-in-chief for the last three and a half years. Um, in 1999, I was lured away by a dot-com startup which was not un- uncommon at the time, uh, that startup had a great idea, which was to segment the market of IT professionals, which previously everyone had seen as sort of one big glop of about 2 million people, to segment them into special interest categories and to build websites, uh, not, not conventional print publications, but websites that serve people who had very specific le- levels of interest, for example, in certain programming languages or database products or... Operating systems, and the company was uh, called TechTarget. Uh, we labored in relative obscurity for two years. When the when the dot-com bubble burst, uh, it was really the breakout time for that company because TechTarget had a very uh, compelling value proposition, <clears throat> which is that while it had the highest CPM rates in the industry, it was reaching buyers uh, a very small and very focused. And motivate a group of buyers. And so the, the uh, responses that, that advertisers were getting were you know, five to ten times what they were getting with the media they had previously, previously been using. And the way that relates to new influencers is that my six years at Tech Target really got me bought into the idea that small markets count. And I think that's a, a theme that is becoming widely accepted now. But at the time, it was really not uh, the. the the media was still very large market focused. I,
1: I, I do remember Tech Target well because at the time I was working with a systems integrator that had um, a good deal of a d- database um, expertise and we actually participated in a number of online chats and, and can indeed confirm that the click-through rates we got uh, from that content after it was parked on the TechTarget site to the client site was absolutely phenomenal.
2: Yes, and it was a business that uh, grew dramatically during the uh, during the, the nuclear winter that, that preceded the dot-com uh, bust. While everybody else was downsizing and going out of business, Tech Target actually succeeded in doubling its business every year during that uh, that period. Now, it was a small business at the time, but still uh, went through that period without laying people off and actually grew staff. Uh, and and really, when the market turned and, and started to go back up, the company took off and was in a great position to leverage the uh, base it had built and, and uh, went public, actually, uh, in, in mid-May. I had a very successful IPO.
1: And, of course, you were you were working with uh, Jimmy Gooderman, then, who we actually interviewed uh, last week on the show.
2: Yeah, Jimmy was, uh, I don't think he was writing for Tech Target at the time, but he and I have stayed friendly over the years. I was a very, uh, very big fan of the work that he did uh, when he was at uh, the... At, um, Industry standard, and he's he's a very fine writer, and I've uh, I just have great respect for him.
1: So, uh, explain the concept of of which as as you as you say in the book, these concepts of high tech marketing and influencing, influencing the influencers as they apply to marketing and PR.
2: The the role of marketing is changing dramatically. Er, Eric, as you have documented many times on your program, the marketers are no longer in control of the message or they're losing control of the message because the message is passing into the hands of the customers. And the customers now are talking with each other. Uh, they're defining the message, and marketers then have to work with what the customers say and, and try to guide it and try to perform it. But marketing is not about just blasting out messages anymore. It's about engaging people in a meaningful dialogue that leads to A shared uh, perception of your company and your products. That's a very different role than marketers are accustomed to playing. Where this comes into influencers is that most markets have traditionally been defined, uh, had a small number of influencers. For example, the public relations industry, which is your business, uh, has historically uh, been able to count the number of, uh, of influencers who really mattered somewhere in the double digits. You know, there were a certain number of publications and broadcast outlets that really counted. Uh, all that has changed now because in some markets, with the, with the emergence of blogs and other kinds of, uh, of social media, some markets now may have hundreds or even thousands of influencers who impact uh, different segments of those, those markets. And that trend is unstoppable. That's not going to change. I mean, a, uh, uh, I think your own program is, is a great example of that. Uh, prior to uh, about two years ago, you would not have had the channel to, to influence the media and the public relations industry, and now you are doing so uh, without, the, the, uh, without having to use mainstream media in any capacity. And that's why I devoted a couple of pages of the book to your podcast series, because I think this is a prototypical example of, of who the new influencers are.
1: And, and who are some of the other examples? What are some of the other examples that you, uh, you, that you uh, make in the book?
2: I have some wonderful ones that i uh, i'd like to share one. I opened the book actually in Chapter One with the story of Vincent Ferrari, who is a, um, a, tech, a technical guy where he lives in the Bronx and uh, on June sixth of last year, he called to cancel his AOL account. Uh, he recorded the conversation because he had heard that AOL was notorious for uh, having uh, making it very difficult for customers to cancel their accounts and in fact that 's exactly what happened. He got a into kind of a bizarre uh, dialogue with an AOL representative who simply refused to cancel his account. It was, it was very funny. went on for about five minutes. Well, he posted this on his blog, and uh, he sent a note off to Consumerist.com, which is a leading consumer advocacy site, and to Dig.com. and within a matter of five days, the, uh, the, the viral spread of this, of this audio file had reached the point that he was on the Today Show and then three weeks later, he was on Nightline. So this one, this one man, uh, through using entirely his own means and without any marketing budget, without any circulation list, without any printing presses or broadcast licenses, was able to deliver a message that ultimately probably tens of millions of people uh, were able to to consume. And that is, you know, that's one example. That is one uh, focused example of of an incident where. The power of social media took a, uh, a case, took a, um, an event, and turned it into a national phenomenon. And that, um, is, that's one of the examples of how a, a, a phenomenon can catch on and can spread very quickly using viral media. Now, invariably, when something becomes a big cultural issue like that did, it, it catches on to the mainstream media, and the mainstream media is increasingly watching or uh, paying attention to what's being said in the social media sp- space, as, as you've documented on, on, on the record online. Uh, another example that uh, I think is maybe a, a pure example of how social media is coming into its own as a medium is a profile I did of MommyCast. Now, MommyCast is a podcast series that is produced by uh, two women out of the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, they... They started it as a lark just because they thought that they would uh, produce a podcast for a few of their friends and relatives to listen to. One thing led to another. They got lucky. They caught some breaks. And within uh, a few months, they were featured on the uh, iTunes uh, 4.9 launch page and now have a franchise that includes multiple sponsors who are paying six-digit di- six sponsorship fees. Uh, they have hundreds of thousands of listeners. And they have been attributed uh, Warner Warner Universal last year, excuse me, Warner Pictures last year, attributed about a quarter of the gate receipts of March of the Penguins to the positive publicity that uh, that movie got on MommyCast. So these two women, who two years ago were, were unknown to anyone outside of a small circle of friends in the Beltway area, are now uh, international media stars, and they've done this without any uh, without using Without having broadcast licenses, without having uh, terrestrial radio pro, uh, terrestrial radio resources, they just. But,
1: but of course, Paul. Uh, Paul, one of them does have, I think, seven or eight kids, right?
2: Uh, you have page Page Henninger has five. Yes,
1: five kids. Well, that that you know that certainly is may not be a broadcast license, but that certainly is a license to talk about being a mother.
2: She certainly has credibility. Yes, and they have wonderful chemistry. And and what they're doing, it's interesting. If you listen to a show of Mommy Kiss, there's nothing they're doing that you wouldn't hear on a good uh, radio program. I mean, the the formula is the same. It's just that they had an alternative uh, delivery mechanism, and they didn't have to go through some executive in in a a high-rise in Manhattan to get an audience. They went directly to the audience, and then that that word spread through uh, various online means. They've had opportunities to, take, to go to terrestrial radio. They've turned them all down. They like, that, like being in control.
1: You know, one of the great examples of, of MommyCast, and it's, a, it's a, one of the examples I make when I do the executive PR workshop, um, I mean executive podcast workshop for PRSA, uh, you know, I, as, as a new father, um, you know, I, I actually wind up listening to MommyCast. And if you're an advertiser, you're probably not targeting me with a program like that you're probably targeting what you think is a female audience uh, of, of mothers uh, but the truth is um a program like this uh, that is not really defined by by geographic boundaries in terms of its availability and uh, and that's available online uh becomes you know a week, part of my weekly listening i mean I, i'm I'm pretty much a regular listener of, the, of that program and and what what it what it says to me is uh that perhaps the um the value to an advertiser uh, should be measured more by, by, by psychographics than demographics less about you know how much how much money you make and, and where you live and, and what your gender is and what your race is and more about you know what you're genuinely interested in because I have become an evangelist for the program and, and uh, you know I, I talk to other mothers who who do wind up listening to it as a result of me telling them about it. So I mean, it seems to me I, I'm I'm just as valuable of a listener as 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 a mommy.
2: Yeah, the, of course. The problem with podcasting, as you know, is that it is very difficult to get any kind of demographic data. And radio uh, radio is good at that because they have various services that can measure those things. Uh, Though that will be coming, but right now advertisers are still. Uh, it's still a leap of faith to advertise with programs like that because the, the data on them is so
1: sparse. So, Paul, let's talk about ethics for a second. So there's this guy from AOL. Uh, there's an AOL customer, and he wants to get out of his contract. So he, he flips on Audacity, and he makes an MP3, and he blogs it. And uh, And next thing you know, he's... Yeah, a rock star and he's on the morning shows. So I, you've got to think that a lot of people in marketing and PR are looking at this and saying, wow, well, we could do the same thing. But then here's a guy who genuinely had a concern. Uh, he wasn't, uh, you know, a um, working for AOL's competitor or anything like that. He was a uh, underserved customer and he shared his customer service experience with people because he wanted to for no other reason. What are the ethical considerations that marketers should be considering when they take a look at this space?
2: Uh, well, the blogosphere itself is developing a rich set of ethical standards, which uh, I think are remarkable given that the medium is so new and given that there are no rulemaking bodies. You know, one of the things that's amazing about this, uh, this space of these millions of bloggers and podcasters is that there's no one in charge. There's no governing body. There's no rules. There are no ethical guidelines. There are no standards committees. Nor, I think, will there ever be those things. Nevertheless, people are coming to a set of shared values that are passed around virally and are defined by a few prominent voices, uh, which are really very rich and, and I think, very um, uh, commendable. You know, there's this. Perception some people have of the blogosphere as being this, this big um, sort of you know, hangout hang of thugs and hoodlums who, who beat up on people mercilessly. In fact, there's little of that. For the most part, the dialogue is civilized, and there's a set of standards that that um, that relate to attribution. You know, you must attribute uh, comments. You may not steal content. Uh, you should be polite. You don't. Um, you don't diss your your competition. Um, you speak. In, you, you tell people when you're when something is an opinion and when something is a fact and when you're not sure that something is a fact. There's an ethical an ethics of full disclosure that uh, the the good bloggers adhere to, and I think that those ethics are somewhat different from what you find in the journalism profession. Uh, certainly, the blogosphere is more of a or a factual form. but the the basic ethical rules are disclose fully transparency is the term that people like to use um, say what you really mean and say whether something is an opinion or a fact or or how much how much validity you have in it and for the sure, certainly that's not practiced by everyone but for the people who really are driving uh, this medium I think they pretty much buy into that set of now, that said, there's a, a common complaint about the blogosphere is, these people aren't journalists. Well, you know what? They're not, and they don't pretend to be. They're opinion writers. And uh, the, the blogosphere, in many ways, is one big op-ed page. And if you accept that that's what it is, and it's not trying to be anything else, then you deal with it in that context.
1: And certainly op-eds are great. Uh, you know, those of us who who, who are news junkies and, and read a daily newspaper love the op-ed page. But uh, certainly we've seen newspapers... Become out of favor uh, the the Zell acquisition of uh, the Tribune was uh, uh, heavily uh, debt financed deal um, none of none of the newspapers seem to be able to retain their their new, their staffs in the newsroom their they 're shedding jobs uh, left and right. Um, do you think uh, there 's something to be said for the value of editorial oversight? Are we um, are we cutting off our nose to spite our face by, by letting go of um, stories that are created by consensus that have fact-checking and oversight? Um, why is it that that has become so, so out of favor?
2: Well, I don't, think there's ex- I don't think these are mutually exclusive issues. Uh, newspapers are, are failing because their economic model is no longer viable. Uh, the economic model of newspapers is based on, uh, on information scarcity. Uh, newspapers built up huge and expensive vertically integrated distribution and content creation networks uh, to, for a time when it was very difficult for people to uh, get information. And so newspapers could charge high uh, advertising rates because they were the only ones who had the infrastructure to distribute news on a timely basis. And now that has all changed. Information has become a commodity. And when that happens, the economics of of, uh, of news, the economics of information, change dramatically. The problem for newspapers is that they can't scale down. the model The model uh, for newspapers scales up very well, but it doesn't scale down very well. So, as they try to adopt to this new um, excuse me adapt to this new infrastructure, they find that they just have to cut and cut and cut and cut, and, and the quality of what they do declines as a result. Now. Will, is there a need, to answer your question, is there a need for editorial oversight? Absolutely. Is there a need for professional editors? You bet. Will that model look in the future like what it looks today, like a newspaper model? I don't think so. I think newspapers, I'm on record as saying I don't think so. I think there'll be five major newspapers left in 20 years. Uh, And we know, and they're already, we already know who they are. Uh, But most major metropolitan dailies will be out of business in 20 years. Does that mean that, news, that, that, that the uh, service that newspapers provide will go away? Absolutely not. I think that there will be new models that will spring up that are based on the, uh, the new economics of online media that will have the same value and will share the same practices as newspapers today. There will be professional editors. There will be professional journalists. There will be people who practice the good values of journalism, but they will do it in a different context. I think the one big, diff- big difference today and what we'll have in the future is that those organizations will rely much more on aggregation than on original content creation, and when you think about it, that's a much more efficient model. You know, why do we have, why do we have 100 reporters going to the State of the Union address and all sitting there and hearing the same thing? That's stupid. I mean, you should have, you should have one or two people who go and record that or just you know, put it on video and ask your questions remotely and then put those other people to work doing other things.
1: Well, but Paul, some people would argue that uh, uh, objectivity is a noble goal, but it is really just that, a goal, and that we're all colored by our personal biases. And so unless you can stack that room full of 30 different people uh, that have seen the world through, through different, different lenses, uh, you're not going to be able to find the middle ground
2: well the, the purpose of the jur- of the 100 journalists in the room is is because they, they each ask different questions and there's value to that you don't necessarily have to put 100 people in the room to do the same thing but when you consider the, the duplication of effort when you see the you know the, the paparazzi or maybe that's a bad example but when you see uh, hundreds of journalists covering the same event uh, and really just writing the same story. I mean, how many times do you see a major story in a newspaper? If you were to pick up 20 newspapers, you'd find 20 different reporters writing the same story. Is the story that much different? Do those, do those reporters all have to be covering the same event, or can they be working different angles of the same event? I mean, a pool, pool journalism is a well-established uh, uh, method of reporting when you, don't, when, when you can't accommodate everybody that, uh, that wants to cover a story. And I think that what's, there's a lot of duplication of effort because newspapers have built up dedicated staffs over the years uh, because that's what the medium required. The economics of the medium required that they, had to have, uh, that they had to have the same people at different newspapers covering the same story. With electronic media, where it's much faster... Uh, you don't, I don't think you have to approach news the same way. You can have, Yes, you could have the same number of people, but they could all be doing different things, different angles on the same story. I think it's more efficient. I think it's more interesting.
1: I received a very nice email from David Strom. I know you are working on a podcast with him. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, uh, well, David and I have known each other for many years in, in the, tech, uh, the tech journalism world, and so we uh, met up at a trade show recently and, and agreed that it would be good to start a podcast for PR people. We've always been always been a big fan of, of the public relations profession. I think, it's a, uh, I think journalists and PR people in many ways share a lot of the same values and the same objectives. They just come at them differently. So we started a podcast called Tech PR War Stories, where we connect every week and we uh, spend about 15 or 20 minutes chatting over some aspect of, um, of journalism, technology journalism, our, our, our uh, memories of the best and the worst that we've seen over the years, as but most of it is analysis of what's going on now We talk a lot about social media And how that's changing the profession And that's a free podcast at techprwarstories.com
1: And where can we get the book?
2: Uh, the book, well you can go to newinfluencers.com And you can, you can uh, buy it there It's actually the cheapest price anywhere You'll get it, there's no shipping uh, Or you can go to Amazon Or you can go to bnbarnesandnoble.com And search on new influencers
0: Paul Gillen
1: Thanks so much for joining
0: us.
2: A pleasure, Eric. It's a thrill to finally be on your program.
0: You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.